privilege it is to be. How many people are happy to be here today? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's a wonderful privilege to be here. And as has been said, my name is Dr. Chidian Guaba. Um, I put that Twitter address up there simply because I put lots of information. A lot of the things we're talking about today I put up on Twitter if you want to follow. Um, also, when people have questions, I like to reply so that everybody can see the reply. Um, we have a radio program this afternoon or evening, and I'm going to be receiving your questions and answering a lot of them this, this evening. Now, because this is a health talk, I always like to start in a special way, if you don't mind. And I need you all to stand up for me. Everybody to stand up. Wonderful. Fantastic. Right. I've just got a few questions for you. Now, if during the week you were able to eat between five and ten portions of fruit and vegetables every day, stay standing. The rest of you sit down. Great. We've still got lots of healthy people standing. Fantastic. Okay, so for those of you still standing, for those of you still standing, if you were able to drink somewhere between a liter or two of water every single day, stay standing. Otherwise, sit down. Now, I'm seeing some people starting to stand up. That doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So, for those of you still standing, you stalwarts of health, still standing, I want you to remain standing if you were able to get somewhere between six and eight hours of sleep every night. Right, okay. See many of the pastors sit down, okay. The church is keeping them busy. Okay, so we still have a few remnants. We like the word remnant, don't we? We have a few remnants left. So for those still standing, my last question is if you were able to exercise for half an hour each day, stay standing. Wow, we have some great people. Let's give them a round of applause. Wonderful, you can sit down, you can sit down. I don't have a prize for you, but the prize is obviously a healthy, long life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just one little advert. I do work for the men's ministries department for the South England Conference and all men, all men are invited to come to the Emirates Stadium. You know the Emirates Stadium, right? Some of you know the Emirates Stadium. Some of you hate the Emirates Stadium. But, but nonetheless, we are going back to the Emirates Stadium for a day of fellowship. All men are invited. It starts at 10 and it goes till 4. All men are invited. It's going to be a wonderful day of fellowship. Those of you who have been before know it's a fantastic day. Okay, so that's the end of my adverts for now. Now, does everybody know that God has a plan for you? Fantastic. It's good to hear such enthusiasm. God has a great plan for us. The Bible tells us about it, doesn't it? In Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It's a very well-known phrase, very well-known text. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's a great message, isn't it? 
But my question is, what about us? What is actually God's plan for you and me? Do you know that? Anybody know God's specific plan for them as an individual? Well, here's a, another general one that Jesus gave. He says, look, Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom and to heal the sick. That is remarkable, isn't it? That's still going on today in our churches? Silence. Okay. Well, let's just see this then. Um, what about today? Let's just look. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things, even greater things than these. Now, is that possible? It must be possible because Jesus said it. You have faith. Fantastic. But, but how can it be possible? You know what Jesus did. He healed people. How can it be? Well, let me try and answer this by asking you a question. You remember the gentleman who was sick for 38 years by the pool, and Jesus came along and he healed him. A great day for that individual. Now, my question to you is, who would you rather be? Would you rather be the person who was sick for 38 years and healed, or the person who was never sick in the first place? Never sick in the first place. Some of you are actually thinking, yeah, maybe I'd like to be sick for 38 years. <laughs> Most of us would rather never be sick in the first place because we know that prevention is better than cure. Jesus did amazing things amongst us. He healed people. We have the opportunity to prevent the illness in the first place. And you know the great thing, you don't have to go to medical school to do it. I, um, I wanted to become a doctor when I was about 10 years old. I was at home and I read this book, The Ministry of Healing. You heard of that? And Medical Missionary. And I was reading those books and I thought, hey, this is interesting stuff. I think I would like to do something like that. So I did my stuff and I went to medical school. But in medical school, I got a little bit sidetracked and I went into a career of surgery. And it was one day whilst I was training, this is after medical school, I was training up at um, Papworth Hospital in Cambridge, cardiothoracic surgery. And I always remember one gentleman who came into clinic, 78 years old, he had had a bypass several years before and he'd become unwell again and he needed to have another bypass. That is, that is a heart bypass. But he was so unwell that we had to tell him that there was nothing we could do for him. So actually, we sent that gentleman home to die, and he died within three months. And it was at that point, I said to myself, I almost came to my senses. I said, surely there is more that we can do. You know, with all the knowledge we have, with all the scientists we have, surely there is more we can do for individuals who cannot help themselves. And that's when I turned to lifestyle and preventative medicine. I retrained as a GP, and then I did preventative medicine. But you know, there's one thing that you have to know in medical school. In order to qualify as a doctor, you need to know one or two things. You, didn't, you don't need to know about Homer Simpson. What you do need to know are the first signs of heart disease. 
In fact, what you really need to know are the first signs of a heart attack. You know, crushing chest pain, sweating, nausea, pain going down your left arm. That, those are very important symptoms you need to be able to detect. But I put it to you that this gentleman already has the first signs of heart disease. He has an inactive life, poor diet, stressed out all the time, overweight, smoking, and drinking. Already, before any signs on his body, he has heart disease. During the Vietnam War, do you know the average age of the soldiers that fought in the Vietnam War for America? 19. They were 19 years old. Now, when those gentlemen came back dead, some people did some autopsies on their bodies. And at the age of 19, they already had severe heart disease at 19. And that was because of their lifestyle. Severe heart disease just means that instead of having lovely clean arteries like that, they've all started to clog up with fat and cholesterol. And all of these things are lifestyle diseases. They're lifestyle diseases. So, when I was training in lifestyle medicine, I went back to a very good surgeon. He used to be a surgeon like me. And he did a fantastic experiment, which I want to share with you. He did this at the Cleveland Clinic. Now, what he did, he took 18 patients with severe heart disease and very high cholesterol. Now, of those 18 patients, for the previous eight years, they had had 49 cardiac events. And that could mean anything. That could mean a heart attack, chest pain, having to have a bypass. But collectively, they had had 49 cardiac events. All he did for them was change their diet to a plant-based, whole grain, no saturated fat, and no dairy products. That's all he did. Now, the remarkable thing that happened their cholesterol levels halved within two to three months. So the cholesterol levels just came down, just with the diet change. The 11 years following the experiment, there were no cardiac events. Amen. Something else happened. Um, within the first two weeks of them changing their diet, folks, none of them had any more chest pain. Now, if you go to a GP today and you have chest pain and they say, well, you need to see a cardiologist, it may take two weeks to see a cardiologist. But before two weeks, those symptoms could have been reversed. Amazing. What I'm actually telling you is absolutely fascinating and remarkable. Something else that's interesting, more than 70% showed a dramatic reversal of the disease. So some of them had angiograms and follow-up, now, can you see this? This is one person who was in the study. The before shows that little stricture. That little stricture is where there was severe narrowing and heart disease, causing chest pain. Leaving it like that, you can lead to a heart attack. After, now that after is about two years after, but you can see the artery is completely opened up without any surgery. Now, if I was back at Patworth Hospital and I was showing this, to my colleagues, they would say, Chitty, that's fantastic. You did a brilliant operation. <laughs> this was done without opening someone's chest. Anybody ever seen a, a bypass operation? Ever seen one? You know, you have to take a big black and decker saw and open up the chest. 
And you know, when you're training, sometimes you slip. I shouldn't tell you that. I shouldn't tell you that. I shouldn't tell you that. I'm just, I'm being honest. I'm being honest. I'm just confessing, confessing my sins. But yeah, sometimes you do slip. But instead of that, just by changing their diet, those arteries have opened up. Reversal of heart disease. Reversal of heart disease. This is miraculous, folks. This is healing. You know, we talk an awful lot about healing and spiritual healing. This is part of healing too. And I can tell you, I have had no regrets changing from surgery to lifestyle medicine. The results are absolutely phenomenal. And that was just by giving people a lovely, healthy diet. Okay? Fantastic. Now, many people say to me, I thought it was all in the genes though. I mean, if I've got heart disease, it's genetic, isn't it, Chitty? And it reminds me of a, a gentleman I came across when I was working in A&E. He had survived a heart attack. So it's the next morning, I saw him on his bed, and just beside his bed, he had three packets of cigarettes. And I said, oh, I see. I see you got some cigarettes there. Um, are you keeping that as a memento for your former life? And he said, no. No, I'm going to go out for a smoke in a couple of hours. I said, but um, aren't you a little bit concerned because isn't it the cigarettes that helped you get you to have a heart attack? He said, no, doctor, don't worry about me. I had a heart attack because my father had a heart attack. And he had a heart attack because his father had a heart attack. I was always going to have a heart attack. You know, some people you just cannot tell, you cannot instruct. I remember seeing a group of 13-year-old girls smoking. 13-year-old girls smoking. So I built up my courage and I said, look, girls, um, you know, smoking is going to shorten your life. They said, oh, don't give me any of that. Are you a doctor or something? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, don't give me any of that. My uncle smoked 60 cigarettes a day, every day of his life, and he lived to the ripe old age of 53. <laughs> what can you say? What can you say? I guess that's old. I guess that's old in some people's books. So this gentleman is blaming his father. And actually, many times, even when you go to your doctors today, they'll say, all oh, right, it's heart disease, it's genetic, there's nothing you can do about it. But I, I always like to say, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, don't blame your parents, right? Don't blame your parents. Because like in the Garden of Eden, God blamed Adam, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on, obviously. Um, leg to stand on, serpent. You've had your breakfast, right? Great. Fantastic. So yeah, it's... Even if there are genes, and I'm, we're going to talk about this a, a little bit later, even if there are genes, you can override those genes with your lifestyle. It's amazing. Anybody ever heard of the China study? One or two of you. One or two of you have heard of the China study. That's great. Let me ask you, anybody ever heard of the research that says drinking some red wine can help your heart? Everybody's heard of that. Nobody's heard of the China study. Now, the China study is one of the biggest studies ever done on human health. That study I, I talked to you about is a small study that has no credibility. You know, wine is never going to help your heart. And if you don't believe me, if you have high blood pressure, 
You go to your doctor and say, well, doctor, I've never drunk in my life. I've got high blood pressure. Do you recommend that I start drinking red wine? They will always say no. Alcohol does not help your heart. But the China study is fascinating. I just want to tell you one small bit of research. I recommend the book. I have no shares in it, by the way. Okay? But I recommend the book highly. But one small study is fascinating, because we're talking a bit about genes and, and disease. They took a 1,000 rats, because they say that rats are very like humans. Lots of women nodding. They um, say so that rats are very much like humans in the, the proportion of fat and protein they eat. So they took a 1,000 rats, and they injected them with a toxin called aflatoxin. Now, if you're injected with a toxin called aflatoxin, you will get liver cancer. There is no choice of the matter. It will cause liver cancer. And indeed, every single one of those thousand rats got liver cancer. They then took another thousand rats, injected them with the same toxin, but all they did was halve the amount of protein, animal protein, in their diet. So instead of 20%, they reduced it to 10%. Not one of those rats got the cancer. Just by lowering the amount of animal protein, especially milk protein, in their diet. So what that's saying is, even if you have something that causes you to have cancer, even if you have a genetic predisposition for cancer, by altering your lifestyle and your diet, you can switch off those genes. This is the field called epigenetics. What you do in your life can affect your gene makeup. That is remarkable. Because, I, didn't know, I don't know if you know this, we all get cancer. Let me see the hands of anybody who knows somebody who's had cancer. I mean, look at that. Wonderful. I mean, it's, that's an epidemic. I don't mean wonderful people have got cancer. But that, that classifies an epidemic. And I am seeing people, increasingly young people, with cancer. You know, it's even affected my family. My sister-in-law had a brain tumor recently removed. And she's only, she's only in her mid-30s. So it's, it's affecting us more and more. So we really need to understand it. But I say, cancer is just like one battle lost after millions of battles won. We all get cancer, but our bodies are able to deal with it. We have these wonderful cells called natural killer cells that parade our bodies and seek out and destroy any tiny cancer before it can start to grow. But let's just have a look at what cancer is. So you have to remember that our, our bodies have about 100 trillion cells. A hundred trillion, you can't even think of that number. There are so many. So it's not unlikely that within those hundred trillion cells, which all have a copy of your DNA, each of them have about 50,000 genes, sometimes one of those genes is going to go wrong. And when it does go wrong, that's when we get cancer. We know this lady, Angelina Jolie, you know, she's been in the news for a while, right? Um, she had both of her breasts removed because she has a gene that predisposes her to breast cancer. That is serious. And 
I would say for the last 10 years, I have seen patients, young ladies, who have wanted to have their breasts removed early because their mother had breast cancer, their sisters had breast cancer, and they know that they have a high risk of having breast cancer. Now, that's a, dr a dramatic and drastic um, thing to do, but you can understand it, can't you? You'd rather have the mastectomy than have the cancer, and I completely understand that. But there is some hope. I want you to look at this research and see what you think about it. So this is talking about the gene BRCA1 and BRCA2. These predispose you for breast cancer. Now just look at the evidence though. For a woman born before 1940, she has a 24% chance of getting breast cancer by the age of 50. If you're born after 1940, that rises to 67%. Now, why should that be? I hear people say diet. And what, what's so special about this number, 1940? Okay, the war. Yeah, I hear you say the war. So what's special about the war? Sorry? Rations, rations. You see, during the war, you couldn't eat what you wanted. You couldn't have butter and cheese and milk and chocolate any time you want. I mean, I used to see people who used to have one tiny square of chocolate that would last them for a month. That was during the war. And that was if they were very, very lucky. Now today, I see children walking to school with fun, well not fun size, those large Mars bars. And walking home with another Mars bar. Things have changed absolutely completely. And these people were not trying to avoid cancer. They were just living their normal lives. So like Angelina Jolie, if, you, if a lady has that gene, simply by changing their lifestyle, reducing the amount of food, especially high fat, high dairy food, can actually prevent them getting the cancer. And there's lots of research being done today as an alternative to having both of your breasts removed. So even if you have, and by the way, only 5% of women with breast cancer have that gene. 95% of women with breast cancer do not have that gene. So, but by changing your lifestyle, you can actually reverse the disease. Let's have a look at this. Um, this is a map of the world, and it shows places with, with breast cancer. And to be honest, it's the same for prostate cancer. The red areas are where there are high levels of breast, breast cancer. Sometimes one in three, sometimes one in ten. The dark green areas are where there is hardly any breast cancer, sometimes one in a hundred thousand. Now, what do, what, do, what do you see? See any kind of pattern there? Okay, the West and the rich countries. What, what about the rich countries? They have the highest incidence of cancer. The richest places on the earth have the highest incidences of cancer. And the interesting thing, just in case you thought it might be genetic, if you take someone from darkest China, rural China, and take them to America, their risk of breast cancer rises to the same as every other American. It is a lifestyle disease. That's actually very good news, because it means that there is something we can do about it. There is something we can do to prevent it, and even if we get it, and you've had the operation, we can make sure it doesn't come back. Now, you heard what I said, you had the operation. 
and I, I think I should just give a bit of caution here because I do see many people who come to me who say, well, you know, I think I've been diagnosed with breast cancer, but I'm trying to go an alternative route because I don't want treatment. And I ask them, well, why would you want to do that? They say, well, just, I just don't want to go through the normal treatment. And I always say to them, well, look, if you were to have a heart attack right now, would you say to me, I don't want to go to hospital, just give me the broccoli juice and I'll be fine? <laughs> it makes no sense to me. Once you have been diagnosed with cancer, you need treatment. You need it removed, you need the radiotherapy, you need the chemotherapy. Yes, it's awful, but it's necessary to keep you alive. Okay? It is necessary to keep you alive. I have a very good friend, uh, Professor Jane Plant. Actually, I work with her every week. She was diagnosed with breast cancer five times. 20 years ago, she was given up for dead by the Royal Marsden, which is our senior cancer institute. She's alive today simply because she changed her diet to a low-fat, low-fat, plant-based diet, okay? Now, you, you heard what I said. I said a low-fat, plant-based diet. Many people say, yeah, well, you know, I've been vegan all my life. How come I've got high cholesterol? How come I've got cancer? Being a vegan doesn't mean you're healthy, okay? Being a vegan doesn't mean you're healthy. Uh, I used to have a vegan restaurant myself, and the vegans that used to come in, the first thing they would ask, where's the vegan chocolate cake? Give me the vegan chocolate cake. You know, you can still have high-fat, high-sugar, high-salt vegans, right? So you need to be a low-fat, plant-based diet. That is a healthy lifestyle. And it's great that Professor Jane Plant is still around today uh, doing the similar work to me. So as well as breast cancer, we, we think about the prostate for you men, right? For those of you who didn't know where the prostate was, it's just right below your bladder, just there, about the size of a walnut. Now... Some of you may have even had an exam, okay, for your prostate, because it becomes enlarged with, with age often, especially in the West. And it becomes enlarged purely because of our diet and lifestyle. I would recommend one thing. The um, Radio 4 did a wonderful program a few weeks ago, the food program, which was a, a kind of a copy to one they did in 2009, which talked about a man who had prostate cancer, and they were following him. And he decided to change his diet to a low-fat, plant-based diet. He cut out the meat, he cut out the dairy. His PSA, his prostate-specific antigen, which is a marker, went dramatically down just by changing his diet. I have um, personally spoke to a a scientist, doctor in California called Dean Ornish, who has just published some research that a man who was newly diagnosed with prostate cancer can actually reverse it with his diet. That is the latest information out at the moment. So when you go to your doctor, and you know, it's a slightly uncomfortable exam. I've never seen it happen like this, though, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I've, I've never... I've never had this happen to me in my life. So, so don't let the fear of the digital exam put you off. You know, I don't know, some 
some doctors or rugby players, and they have quite big fingers, you know, but don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Okay, but yes, all of this, all of these cancers, prostate cancer, breast cancer, are really the result of the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Now, you may not know this, but you are the rich and famous of the world. Did you know? You are the rich and the famous people of the world. You may be thinking, what is, what is he talking about? I can hardly pay my bills. But you know what? If you have a fridge where you can go into and get food anytime you want to, 90% of the world can't do that. They are literally killing themselves to come here and live the life that you have. But the life that you have is actually killing us, right? We are so rich, we are so wealthy. I have, I have seen actually that because we're so rich, we're really damaging our health. I mean, for example, I've, I have a car at home and sometimes I can find myself driving to a place that is just a mile and a half down the road because I've got a car. Sometimes it is better if we just live a little bit poorer. You understand? We don't have to use everything that we've got. Some interesting information for you. Cuba is still going through a recession. It's been going through a recession for 10 years. But the public health department in Cuba has said, this is the healthiest they have ever been. In Cuba, you know they have these big cars. Well, they can't afford to put the petrol in the car, so they walk everywhere. They can't afford to go out to the restaurant every night, so they make their food at home. They are much healthier now than when they were wealthy. It's up to us to sometimes limit ourselves from all the excess. It doesn't mean you need to lead a boring life. It's actually an interesting life. But it just means you actually end up saving a lot of money as well. I started saving a lot of money just by walking most places. I don't have to put petrol in the car. The car's doing fine by itself. Okay, so what we're trying to do is avoid the Western diet. The Western diet. The Western diet, which is low in fiber, high in fat and cholesterol, high in sugar, high in salt, low in nutrients, and high in protein. High in protein. I have seen, actually, in the media, there is this tendency to promote protein these days. Have you seen that? And especially all the young guys going to the gyms wanting to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. High protein, protein drinks. Those drinks are actually killing us. They kill your kidneys. You have too much protein in your system. It leads to cancer and arthritis. Okay? Those people who want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger need to remember that Arnold Schwarzenegger had several heart attacks in his life. He's had several hip replacements. All because he has a high protein diet plus probably a few steroids along the way. Okay, now this gentleman has a lot to answer for. I'm sure you all know him. He's affected all of our lives. When I show you his, his symbol, <laughs> McDonald's. Yes, McDonald's is what you would call the typical Western diet. High in fat, sugar, salt. Low in fiber, low in nutrients. That's the typical meal. And I always get asked this question. Look, doctor, um, I don't really want to change my diet, but I want to be healthy. I'm really into exercise. Can I exercise myself into health, even if I eat a poor diet? Uh, the answer is yes, it's possible, it's possible. You know, the people who climb Mount Everest, they have to burn up 9,000 calories a day. That's difficult, right? 
But what I say to them is, look, if you have a normal Big Mac meal and you wanted to burn that off, you would have to run hard for nine hours straight. So yes, it's possible, but I just don't think you're up to it. Yeah, I just don't think you're up to it. Now, I, I go back and forth to uh, Africa quite a lot, and I have seen the rise in fast food, in, um, especially in Nigeria. I, I don't know if there's a McDonald's there, but I think a McDonald's is coming quite soon. Um, I don't know if I'd like to be shooting one of those out in safari. Um, but uh, I would try and avoid that animal in the zoo, to be honest. Because what tends to happen is that the fat that we eat becomes part of us, right? I always call this the middle years because during the middle of our life, the middle of our bodies tends to expand, yeah? It just tends to expand. And people used to say, well, why should this happen? You know, I'm, I'm pretty active. How come I'm still fighting this battle? Well, I put it this way. You know, when you're young, you are incredibly active. You are. I mean, I remember me, when I was a junior doctor, when I first qualified as a doctor, you know, this was in the days when we really had to work hard as house officers, you know? We used to do about 100 plus hours a week. You would go to work. If I was on call on a Friday and, and on the weekend, I would go to work on Friday, work all the way through Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night, and then work on Monday. That, those were tough days. It's, they're illegal now, thank the Lord. But what I remember is when I was a house officer, I would be walking up and down that hospital 10, 15 miles a day. And, you know, when you're a house officer, you can't just walk like this. When you're a house officer, you have to be running everywhere because your boss, the consultant, wants all the scans and all the blood tests yesterday. So you're running everywhere and you're just burning it all up. But then what I notice is as you slightly rise the food chain in medicine, you get an office and you get all these other junior doctors running around for you. And you're still eating the same. So it's not surprising that your middle starts to increase. You know, you get your driving license, and that's it for walking. You know, I'm driving everywhere. So these little things that we can do just to maximize the amount of activity we do. Now, I, I tend to go everywhere with this um, pedometer, which inspires me to walk every day. I try to walk about 15,000 miles a day. 15,000, not miles, <laughs> steps, steps. Uh, steps, by the way. I'm, I'm not that good. I'm not that good. And actually, I think that's a good time for me to confess something to you, because you're all good people. I feel I can share with you, right? I may as well confess. You see, I remember when I was a child, I, you know, someone would come to our church doing a health demonstration or a health lecture, and they would be probably the size of this mic stand, and uh, they'd be looking at us in a very stern way and saying, you know, you must not eat this and you must not eat that. You know, everybody went away miserable not knowing what to eat. Uh, I, don't, I don't confess to have all the answers in my own personal life. In fact, I would say, looking at you all, all you good people, I would probably say that my eating addictions are probably worse than anybody in the room. I would probably say that. Let me just tell you what I mean. 
You see, I used to, when I still go to uh, Maryland quite often, just up the road from the General Conference, a few years ago, I used to go very often, and there was a Dunkin' Donuts just down the road. <laughs> I'm confessing, I'm confessing, all right? I'm confessing. Be generous. And the Dunkin' Donuts was down the road, but, it, you know, it was a bit too far to walk, so I'd get in the car and I'd drive there. <laughs> and when I got there, you go to Dunkin' Donuts and they say, well, I say, well, I want those donut rings, looking around, making sure no one can see me. Um, and they would say, well, you see, if you buy three, we'll give you three for free. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. I'm no fool, I will take six. <laughs> so I drive back home, and I, you know, I'm not one to be controlled when it comes to donuts. So those six, I would demolish within a couple of hours. <laughs> and I'm not the sort of person, after doing the donuts, start to think, oh, I feel so guilty, I shouldn't have eaten those donuts. The only thing I'm thinking about is, can I be bothered to go back to Dunkin' Donuts and get some more donuts? That's all I'm thinking about. It got so bad that one day I pulled up and the guy behind the counter recognized my car. <laughs> and he just started laying out the donuts. <laughs> At that point, I realized I had a problem. That's like an alcoholic being on Skid Row, right? I realized I had a problem, so I had to do something about it. I had to try and avoid certain things. So I'm not here lecturing you like I'm some paragon of virtue, okay? We all have weaknesses, don't we? We all have problems. You do too, right? Not just me, you do too. So, but we have to devise ways, and we're going to learn how we can do that during the week. We have to learn to devise ways to overcome those problems so that we can live the life God has in store for us. So, I, I try to be positive about everything I'm talking about. I don't like to be negative. Uh, there's only one thing I'm slightly negative about, and it's just in this video. So we need, need the sound. For the first time. It's a lovely house you have here. Yes, we're very lucky. It's been in the family for years. But tell us about you, Jane. Harvey says you work in publishing. Yes, yes. It's a small house. We mainly do history books. I tell you a wonderful battle. Battle of Culloden. Any books on that? Well, what time is dinner, Mummy? Uh, it's going to be about another hour. But I'm hungry. Well, you'll have to wait. Bitty. Now, look. If you have Bitty now, you're not going to want any supper, are you? I want Bitty. Come along, then. No, but I, I seen you once before at Simon's 30th, but we didn't really speak then. No. No, but we sort of... noticed each other. More wine, anybody? Fine, thank you, Daddy. You are hungry today, aren't you? <laughs> so, do you have your own place in London? No, no. 
My brother and I both still live at home with our parents. Really? Yes. We have tried to move out, but Mum and Dad don't want us to leave. Oh, I think it's terribly important to let go. Now, um, I'm not exactly sure what you're laughing at. What are you laughing at? What's funny? What's funny? What are you laughing at? A big man suckling at his mother's breast. It always makes you cringe looking at it, you know. In fact, I heard of a lady last year who was making ice cream from her own breast milk. Did you hear about that? Anybody try any? No, oh, of course not, of course not, you wouldn't try that. But I, I just don't understand that we have such an aversion to drinking milk from our mother's breast, but we will drink it from a cow. How, how is that okay? At least, at least the woman is the same species, right? How can it be right for us to be drinking milk from another species? By the way, in the wild, do you ever see an animal drinking milk from another species? No. Do you ever see an animal drinking milk in adulthood? No. And the doctors will tell you, well, you know, if you want big, strong bones, you've got to drink loads of milk. And my question is, you know, there are gorillas out there who, whose genetic DNA is about 98.5% the same as ours. Doesn't mean we come from them, it just means that we have similar building blocks. They have the same digestive system, the same absorption system. But gorillas seem to do all right when it comes to big strong bones and muscles, right? How do they do it? They don't even eat meat. How do they do it? So this actually is unnatural. Us drinking milk is unnatural. I said uh, I try to be positive about everything, but I can't be positive about milk, I'm afraid. Look, milk is designed to turn this little fella into the big fella. That's what it's designed for, to make a small cow into a big cow. So when we drink it, it causes us all sorts of problems, not least of which trying to control our weight. Milk is full of a protein called casein, by the way. Casein, I invite you to look it up, casein. There is so much research to suggest that casein stimulates cancer, okay? So casein is an agent that causes cancer and it's in all the dairy products we have. Milk also is full of estrogen, right, estrogen. Those of you who know anything about breast cancer know that most of them are estrogen receptors on the breast cancer. And you take a drug called tamoxifen to block estrogen receptors. Well, if you're taking something to block estrogen receptors and you're still drinking estrogen in your milk, it makes no sense. It promotes cancer. So I'm afraid I have to be very negative, very negative about dairy products. And something that you may not know, something that you may not know, this is the, uh, a, a, a cross-section of the small intestine. And on the small intestine, you can see these it's a, it's a single layer of cells, a single layer of cells on top of the small intestine. These are incredibly intelligent cells. They are so good that 
When you need more iron, they start to absorb more iron. When you need anything, they take it. When you don't need something, they try and keep it at bay. But sometimes that wonderful mechanism, that wonderful barrier is breached, and we call it a leaky gut. And when that happens, you get all kinds of problems. All of these problems, diabetes type 1, thyroid disease, multiple sclerosis, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and colitis. By the way, all of those diseases are the same disease in different areas of your body. They are exactly the same disease. You look up most of the books which, when you ask about what causes multiple sclerosis, what causes thyroid disease, most of them say, we don't know. Well, the research tells us we do know. And what I'm going to talk about now is just a little example. You see, at some point in our lives, we get this leaky gut. It can happen when you're stressed. It can happen when you're on antibiotics. It can happen when you have a cold or an infection. And that means that certain proteins, especially animal proteins, can bypass that wonderful selective barrier and get into your bloodstream. When they do that, your antibodies detect them as foreign bodies. And when your antibodies detect them as foreign bodies, they start to attack them. Now, the problem is many of those proteins, especially animal proteins, more specifically dairy proteins, are very similar to your proteins. So if your immune system is attacking these foreign bodies, it will then start to attack you. Now, if it's the same protein that's present on the uh, covering of your joints, you will get rheumatoid arthritis. If it's the same as the one in your thyroid gland, you will get a thyroid disease. If it's the same as the one in your nervous system, you can get multiple sclerosis. Those are the origins of those diseases. Okay? So one of the first things you have to do, um, one of the first things you have to do is eliminate those proteins from your diet. And you really have to be quite forensic about this. For most people, in other diseases, I say, well, you know, you can cut down. But for people with an autoimmune response, you have to eliminate it completely. Because it only takes a small amount to activate your immune system. You know what a vaccine is, right? A vaccine is just a small amount that activates the whole immune system. Right. The next thing, apart from eliminating, and by the way, here's some evidence if you just want to write this down, the reason why children get type 1 diabetes is incredibly linked to cow's proteins in their milk. You can look that one up. And most uh, endocrinologists will tell you that too. So, you know, please don't feed your children cow's milk. That's what I'm saying. All right? I, I want to show you this because I've said eliminate animal protein from your diet, but there's something else you can do. And you, can, you can check it out by just looking at this map of the world. This is the MS, multiple sclerosis, map of the world. Now, because you're all so intelligent, you tell me what you see there. All the highly colored places are where there is lots of MS. All the dark places are where there's hardly any, if any, MS. What do you see? Sorry? Affluence, not quite, not quite. It's not quite the same as the other one, is it? Let me give you a bit of a hint. This line here, what is that line? That's the equator. And is there much MS on the equator? 
No, it's hardly any MS on the equator. What does that tell you? Sunlight. Okay. So those people can have any kind of diet they want, but because they're exposed to so much sun, it actually keeps the MS at bay. Now, some of you may know, some of you with arthritis may be able to testify that when you go back home to Jamaica or wherever, your joints feel better. Yeah? And many of us used to think, well, that's just an old wives' tale. Actually, it's true. By exposing yourself to the sun is a treatment for autoimmune diseases, such as MS, rheumatoid arthritis. Okay? So you're able to halt those diseases just by exposure to the sun. Now, that's difficult in Britain, right? So I would love to prescribe you a couple of weeks in Barbados every other week. <laughs> but I think I'll be struck off. Okay? So th this is the only supplement I recommend, and that is vitamin D3. Vitamin D3, and especially if you have any of those diseases. For people with MS... And there's a, a trial being done even today in Toronto and in Norway on 200 MS patients who have changed their diet dramatically so that they're just on a low-fat, plant-based diet and supplements of vitamin D3. None of their diseases have progressed. They've all stopped. Now, you can't reverse MS because it's nerve damage and we don't make any more nerves, but it hasn't progressed so things like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, they will benefit from vitamin D3 supplements and changing your diet. Does that make sense? So, I mean, these, these things are quite remarkable, aren't they? So we, we've, we've looked at how you can actually reverse heart disease. We've looked at how you can actually stop and prevent cancer. And we've looked at some of the big diseases like autoimmune disease, like MS. This is information that God has given us not just for ourselves, by the way. It is so that we can share with those around us. God wants us to be able to heal. If we really want to make God known, let's start living the life God has in store for us. So now, I'm just going to use the next few minutes just for a few questions. So those of you with the mics, if you can just share them around. If you have any questions that you're burning with, please feel free to ask them. Otherwise, please remember that you can follow on Twitter and all the, all the details of what we've talked about today and many other things will be on Twitter. There's a hand there for those people with the mics. Is this the only mic? In the last graph, um I noticed that in a place like Greenland, which is very far north, they had a relatively low incidence of, uh, of Where? MS. Well, up here? Yes. No, no, no. They have lots of, they have lots of MS. The further north you go, all, all the colour, all of these coloured places... Yes, but it's um, less than the green, isn't it? It's purple and blue. Uh, well, slightly less, but yes. it's, still, it's still high. Okay. Still high. Yeah, okay. so Greenland and Norway and all those places, they have lots of MS and lots of problems. What do you think about soya milk? It's good for us? Okay, very good question. What do I think about soya milk? 
I think a few years ago, there was a big scare about soy milk. Uh, many people saying that soy milk can actually cause breast cancer. Uh, that is not true. They said it causes breast cancer simply because soy milk contains something called phytoestrogen. And when anybody sees the word estrogen, you think, oh my goodness, that must be cancer. Well, phytoestrogen is the same thing found in strawberries and fruits and vegetables. Phytoestrogen sounds like estrogen and looks like estrogen. So whereas estrogen would bind to a receptor to make a cancer grow, phytoestrogen, which is present in soya, will bind to that receptor, but it will stop the cancer from growing. It would actually stop other estrogens from reaching the receptor. It's a blocker, so it's a preventer of breast cancer. Tamoxifen, the drug used to treat breast cancer, is a phytoestrogen. So soya milk is actually good for us, all right? I would like to ask also... You Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Oh, yeah. Uh, if we eliminate milk... Yes. Uh, are we not causing another problem for, like, calcium? Where do we, how do we supplement calcium then? Okay, very, very good question. And my, my answer to you is, you know, when gorillas eliminate milk when they're weaned off, how on earth do they cope? You know, how, how do they still get so big and strong? Milk, let me explain this to you. Um, there is a tribe in Africa, the Bantu tribe in Africa, who do not eat meat and do not drink milk. They never, and I mean this, never have fractured hips in old age. Their bones don't get thinner in old age. What they do, what they do is they get stronger. How do they do that? Milk actually takes away minerals from bone. Albumin, the big protein in milk, which is albumin, actually withdraws minerals from your bone. That is why when we get older in the West, our bones get thinner. Okay. Tomorrow, I would like to take you back a few years to when you were just at the beginning. Um, you see, something amazing happens during our development. You have these cells that divide and divide and divide, and then something happens. This little tube starts to form, in, is what we call gastrulation. That tube forms the, the opening of your mouth, right the way through your stomach, right through your intestines, right the way out to your ends. That little tube is a major part of our lives, and I've called it the real YouTube. Okay? So, Come back tomorrow, we're going to be talking about lots of things from constipation to cancer, okay? But until tomorrow, I want you to do four things for me. Four things, is that all right? Four things. I want you to look back with forgiveness. Look forward with hope. Look down with compassion and look up with gratitude. Until tomorrow, we'll see you.